0: Welcome to Do This, Not That, the podcast for marketers. You'll walk away from each episode with actionable tips you can test immediately. You'll hear from the best minds in marketing who will share tactics, quick wins, and pitfalls to avoid. We'll also dig into life, pop culture, and the chaos that is our everyday. I'm Jay Schwedelson. Let's do this, not that. This is exciting. I have one of my favorite industry friends here, Nancy Harhut. Nancy, thank you for being on Do This, Not That.
1: Jay, I'm so glad that you've launched this podcast, and thank you so much for inviting me to join you on it.
0: Absolutely. You know, we we were putting this together. I was making a list. I said, we need Nancy. And for those of you who don't know Nancy, let me give you a little bit of a background on Nancy. Nancy is the Chief Creative Officer at HBT Marketing which is a Boston-based digital direct marketing agency. But Nancy's not just an agency person with an incredible background, but she is also an author. She literally has written the book on behavioral science and marketing. I have the book right here. I've read this book. I love this book. And when I say she's written the book, she's written the book about understanding how we behave and the impact that has on marketing, and it is mind-blowing. So, let me ask you a question. What led you to go down this path of behavioral science and marketing? Why that topic?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I ended up reading a book called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. And as I was reading it, I was, you know, underlining things and making margin notes. And I was thinking about how... What he was talking about applied to the work that I was doing for my clients and that just kind of sent me down the rabbit hole and I started to just learn more and more about behavioral science and I started to test some of the things that I was reading about for the work and like you know that I was doing for my clients I'm like oh, I wonder if that would work and it started to and once it started to that just sent me down that path and I never looked back because it's like this is working you know it's one thing to follow marketing best practices, you wanna do that, you need to do that, but this is like the added extra that just gives you that additional advantage that's gonna make it more likely that you get the response you're looking for. So I'm a big believer in it, I've seen it work, and that's why I continue to talk about it.
0: So what we're gonna go through now are three quick tips about how to leverage this behavior. Now, when we talk about these, can they apply to all different types of marketing channels or is it only good for email or social or does it apply everywhere?
1: No, it's really channel agnostic. So when we talk about behavioral science, we're really talking about the Decision making shortcuts that humans rely on. They're just innate. They're like you know, decision defaults. They help people conserve mental energy. So, because of that, they work whether you're sending an email or writing a blog post or maybe having a sales conversation on the phone or face to face, or maybe you're sending a direct mail piece. It's all about the decision making shortcuts that, that people rely on. And so, as a marketer, how you choose to leverage these behavioral science tactics is really up to you. They work pretty much in any channel. Some may be better for others, like there are magnet words, for example. That eye goes right to them. you know. Maybe they work better in something that's written than spoken, for example, but pretty much they're channel agnostic.
0: Awesome. So let's jump into these three tips. The first tip you're going to talk about, it's this idea of avoiding pain. What does that mean?
1: Behavioral scientists talk about something called loss aversion, and what they found is people are twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss as they are to achieve the pleasure of gain. But, Jay, when you think about it, what do we do in marketing? We double down on the gains, right? It's all about the gains, the advantages, the the benefits, all the wonderful things that will happen if you just do what I'm asking you to do, right? If you just click or call or respond. And we know that benefits work. I don't want your listeners to say, oh, Nancy said we don't need benefits. And we know that benefits work, but we also know, because science has proven it, that people are twice as motivated to avoid pain. So sometimes what you want to do is instead of talking all about the wonderful things that you can bring to somebody, what you want to do is you want to talk about the things that they may lose, the pain they may encounter if they don't do what you're asking them to do, or the pain they can avoid if they do. What you're asking them to do, but it's that idea of focus a little bit on the pain, not always present the most rosy picture. It's not all about the benefits. It's not all about the gains. Sometimes it's about the losses. So do the losses. Don't always do the gains.
0: I love that because you know this idea of pain points is what we're always trying to overcome. You know, you don't change a, a, a vendor because everything's fine. You change it because you have a pain point. You're trying to resolve. You don't buy a product because uh, you love what you already have. You're trying to resolve. I love the idea of, of, of focusing in on that. So let's go to the second tip, which frankly is a little bit of a shocker to me. And this is the idea about whether you should focus on your expensive or your lowest costing product or service first when you're promoting things.
1: Sure. So the temptation is for us as marketers to start with our most affordable option because otherwise we're afraid that we're going to scare people away. We don't want to hit them with our biggest costs. We're afraid they'll run out of the room. So we start with something smaller and then we hope to move them up. And there's a certain amount of logic to that. But It's not a good thing to do. What you want to do is you want to start with your most expensive product or your most expensive service. And this would apply whether you're laying things out on your landing page or whether you're talking about them in in your email. The reason for this is something that behavioral scientists refer to as anchoring. And what they mean by that is the first number, and in this case, a price that people encounter becomes the anchor. It becomes the reference point against which they evaluate everything else. So if you talk about your most expensive thing first, you know, some people may bite and say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And but other people are going to be like, ooh, that's a little pricey. But what that does is it makes every other price under that look that much more attractive. Now, imagine the reverse. You lead with your least expensive thing. Some people bite and other people say, ooh, that's a little pricey. We have no place else to go from there because you're trying to then go up. Okay, not that one. How about the next one? It's even more expensive or the one after that that's even more expensive. So even though it seems a little counterintuitive, what you want to do is you want to lead with your most expensive product or service, your most expensive offering. You want to anchor people on that price and everything else is going to look so much more attractive. And there are other ways to do it. Too. If you only have a single price and you want to make that price look more attractive, you can talk about what the manufacturer's suggested retail prices, which is generally more expensive, or what the original price is. If you're putting something on sale, have your original price to the left of your sales price, because that's what helps people realize what a great deal they're gonna get. They fixate on that first price, and then they move on to the next, and they go, that looks like a good deal.
0: I would, I would imagine it also helps uh, for the lifetime value of the customer, because if they're coming in at, with uh, with the most expensive product or service that they're acquiring, that's it. They're at the top of the mountain and they're going to add on more and more stuff. Where if they come in at the lowest side, the likelihood that they're going to jump up eventually to that highest price thing is probably much, much lower. You know, it's much more transactional when they're buying the lowest cost thing versus really investing their time or money or focus on the most expensive thing. So I think there's all sorts of benefits focusing in on that. And it's it's almost counterintuitive. Is that the what you see for a lot of behavioral science? It feels like it's counterintuitive.
1: Uh, you know in some cases yes not in all in some cases you read about something and you go oh that makes perfect sense and I can even think of instances in my own life when I've done that you know it's like duh why why did I think of that as a marketer I I certainly you know do that as a human being but that's the whole thing about behavioral science it's how people make decisions it's why they do what they do and very very often we're operating on autopilot we're not really thinking about it we're just cruising along so in some cases you're like gee that makes perfect sense in other cases you're like mm-hmm that is a little counterintuitive. I would have thought it made make more sense to focus on benefits. I would have thought it made more sense to lead with the, the least expensive option. I, I did some work for a client where they were actually asking us to try to re-engage financial advisors who used to do business with them, but then stopped. And what we ended up doing was sending them a gift. And this was counterintuitive because you would say, why, Nancy, why would you send a gift to people who stopped doing business with you? If you're going to spend the money on sending a gift, send it to the financial advisors who are doing business. You want to reinforce the positive behavior. But what happened is, you know, we sent the gift. It was unexpected. Nobody asked for it. We sent it to people. We had the wholesaler follow up with, you know, with a phone call and they ended up getting $68 million in incremental revenue from the promotion. They re-engage these financial advisors. Because why? The reciprocity principle. When someone does something for you, even if you didn't ask for it, or even if you did, but once someone does something for you, you feel obligated to return the favor. So you get this gift in the mail, then you get a follow-up phone call. And, and what do you do? You're like, oh, you know what? I, I think I'll do some business with you guys again. So some of them really are counterintuitive.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. And this last tip definitely feels counterintuitive to me, where this idea of telling people, no, they don't have to buy the thing or backing off. Like, what are we talking about here?
1: So, well, think about it. In marketing, what we do is we're selling our hearts out. We're trying so hard to convince people to do what we want them to do, to click, to call, to try to buy, to buy again, to offer up some personal information, whatever it is, right, to refer somebody. You know, we're really trying hard, and we lay out that sales case, you know, that sales argument. We make all the great points, and then we come to our call to action, and when we ask them to do what we're asking them to do. And that makes sense and that's kind of how we do things, but what you should do is follow that request with, but you don't have to. And the reason for this comes down to something that the behavioral scientists call autonomy bias. Humans have this deep-seated desire to exercise some kind of control over ourselves and our environments. We want some kind of autonomy, some kind of agency. And if we feel like we're being pushed into doing something or forced into doing something, if we feel we have no choice, we can resist it. But By using something called the B-Y-A-F technique, B-Y-A-F stands for but you are free, it actually can double the likelihood people do what you want them to do. So essentially you make your argument, you make your call to action, and then you finish by saying, but you are free to choose, but it's up to you, but the choice is yours. And just reminding people that they're the ones who are actively making the decision, that they're not being shoved in a certain direction by you, actually activates the autonomy principle and makes them feel more likely to do what you're going to ask them to do. So while it's great to lay out your sales argument and end with your call to action, what you should really do is lay out your sales argument, have your call to action and finish with, but you are free to choose, but it's up to you, but the choice is yours. It really does work
0: is all of this like in the subconscious do people look at this at the end of let's say an email or whatever promotional item it says and the choice is yours they go oh good i feel really happy about that or are they just moving really quick they see that and it triggers something in their mind and they are more likely to respond is it subconscious or is it like front and center when we're interacting with these behavioral things
1: it's very often subconscious there there are estimates that say between you know 95 and 98 percent of purchase decision making takes place in the subconscious mind we're you know cruising along on autopilot we're just responding and so we see something like that and we may not stop and analyze it and go oh they told me that the choice is mine therefore i will no but what happens is we, you know we get to that and we just feel it on a gut level it just feels better and we make the choice so very often it's subconscious occasionally it's conscious occasionally we're i don't know we look at something we're not sure what decision to make and we go oh a lot of people like me have made this choice therefore i'm going to follow them that's social proof as i'm sure many of your listeners know and that's maybe a little bit more deliberate we're trying to make a decision and we're like all right i'm going to do what other people are doing because it makes me feel safe you know it's probably a good move i'm probably not going to screw up so sometimes it's a little bit a little bit more overt but very often it's it's subconscious we're just kind of responding automatically instinctively reflexively
0: Amazing. These are three great tips. So let's jump into the last segment here, which has nothing to do with marketing or anything like that. And this is called Since You Didn't Ask, where we just talk about life. All right, Nancy, are you ready for this? I don't know. Are you sure? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to
1: buckle in, Jay. I have no idea what's coming next, but I'm <laughs> going to give it my best.
0: Oh, no, it's all good. So I was just thinking about this while you were talking. I follow Nancy on all social channels. She's amazing. First of all, you must follow her on LinkedIn. She puts out the best content, but I follow on all social channels. And something that you do on social is that you will take pictures of a meal that you ate, and you'll say, I just ate at this restaurant. You'll tag them and say, it was fantastic, okay? But what I noticed is that when you take the picture, it's often the fully formed plate of food, like you haven't eaten it yet. And then you post it, and that's great. But do you ever take pictures of the food and then it wasn't great, and then you delete the picture? Or do you, no matter what, even if it looks great on the plate, you're posting it? This is very important.
1: Ah, Yeah, that's a very good question. So I do love to eat. You absolutely nailed that. I take the picture when the food arrives because that's when it's going to look the best. I'm not sure people want to look at a half-consumed meal. But I don't usually post until after. So if it turns out that it was a real dud, I probably won't post because I'm not enthusiastic about it. So I take the picture in the moment later that night, or maybe the next morning is when I actually post it. So if anyone happens to be following me, if you see me post food, you can be pretty sure it was good.
0: So what percentage of pictures taken to posting occurs? Is it like 90%? Because it's like 90%. I'm no longer going to like take you like, oh, this is really good. It's It's got to be lower than that. So, well, all right, so
1: here's the thing. I have a tendency to return to my favorite restaurants. I I love the lobster pot. I'm down on the Cape in the summers. My usual Friday night go-to is the lobster pot. So you can be pretty certain if I've had dinner there and I'm posting a picture, it was good. I've never had a bad meal there, actually. If you're seeing me post a lot from the same restaurant, it's like, well, all right, that's one of her go-tos. She loves it. When it comes to trying new restaurants, maybe a 60 40 split you know sometimes you find something that's great because a friend recommended it or or you read about it but sometimes you read about something or a friend recommends it and you're like i don't know what they were smoking when they recommended it because i'm not happy so i'd say probably 60 percent of the time it lands and the other 40 we just pretend it didn't happen
0: (laughs) that is a good percentage and by the way i look at your post it makes me hungry and usually when i see your post i'm eating something that doesn't look anywhere near as good i'm like i gotta go hang out with nancy whatever she's doing she always has cool food and so I blame you for the failure of many diets that I've started. So thank uh, you, Nancy. It's not here, nice. Here's
1: either. my here's my tip, though. I eat about half of it. And then I bring the other uh, half home, and I have leftovers the next day. So, uh, uh, so that's good. That helps you. That's that a tough the diet. tip.
0: That's a behavioral tip that I may not be able to follow. But <laughs> all the other ones are very, very good. Well, this has been amazing. Please, everybody, first off, follow Nancy. Nancy Harhat on LinkedIn, all social platforms and get her book using behavioral science and marketing. I cannot recommend it enough. It is just a fantastic and fun read. It's really interesting. And Nancy, thank you for being on do this, not that.
1: Jay, thank you so much. I can't wait to start to listen to all of your episodes. I know they're going to be a huge hit. And again, I'm honored to be one of your guests. Thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words about my book. I appreciate that. And also, thank you for letting me quote you in the book and FeatureSubjectLine.com in the book. Again, really appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Nancy. See you soon. Take care. You did it. You made it to the end. Nice. But the party's not over. Subscribe to make sure you get the latest episode each week for more actionable tips and a little chaos from today's top marketers. And hook us up with a five-star review if this wasn't the worst podcast of all time. Lastly, if you want access to the best virtual marketing events that are also 100% free, visit guruevents.com so you can hear from the world's top marketers like Damon John, Martha Stewart, and me. Guruevents.com. Check it out.